Hi, I'm Dr. Don Welch, licensed marriage and family therapist, and welcome to the My Therapist Says podcast, where I moderate discussions between various relationship experts from medical doctors to licensed mental health professionals to enrich relationship skills and communication. This podcast seeks to bring healing and hope to what matters most in our lives, our relationships. If you would like even more content or to speak with a therapist, you can visit us at www.enrichingrelationships.org. Thank you and enjoy. Good evening to each and every one of you here at My Therapist Says. Welcome. This evening, my name is Don Welch. I'm the counseling pastor here at Skyline Church. We are now in our 27th My Therapist Says presentation. We're excited about what tonight may bring as well. It's pretty remarkable. We thank our leadership team. We think of many people that are in the audience as well as uh, John, uh, John and Donna Train who are, are back at the headquarter area there who are making everything happen from sound to PowerPoint uh, to set up and everything. So we thank you all for being here uh, tonight. As we get started, I want to mention to you that this is a very interactive experience. If you've not been here before, you should have a 3x5 card or 4x6 card. I think it's 3x5 tonight. If you have that, just hold that up real quickly. It's a wimpy piece of paper that I'm told uh, by Bill Diffley here, who actually was part of the leadership team who began this whole ministry. So thank you for telling how poor this ministry is this evening. And uh, we'll try to do better next week or next month, I guess. So, we already have a lot of dialogue going on here tonight, which is good. My therapist says it's like having a therapist in your living room. We even have couches. Some of you are sitting in those. It's a very comfortable setting. On that three by five piece of paper, if you would, put a question. If you have a question about our topic tonight, confession and asking for forgiveness, put that statement, that question on that card and just hold it up in the air. You can do that right at this moment if you wish and if you have that written down, that will then be transported to me up front as the moderator. I hope to get through many of them, if not all of them this evening, the questions. Once the questions are raised, then our panel, our illustrious panel, will respond to the questions. If you would like to verbally, vocally interact with the panel, all you have to do is raise your hand without the flimsy piece of paper or card in front of you, and then someone will, one of our hosts, will bring a microphone directly to you, and you can talk directly to the audience as well as um, our panel. So thank you for being here tonight. We're thrilled about this ministry. I was sharing as we were praying together just prior to this session that many people, not just within the San Diego area, but in many other states, I don't know internationally, but it is available for people could go online and find us. If you would like to listen to any of the previous my Therapist Says presentations, you may go online by downloading the audio through our website, www.skylinechurch.org, skylinechurch.org, and go to the counseling area, and you will find all of them. This one tonight should be available no later than two days from today or tonight. So if you, you have a topic that you would uh, wish and hope someone else might be able to hear or listen into. You could look down that and, and ask them and invite them to go online and listen. There is PowerPoint available sometimes uh, on our present or during our presentations. We have handouts that are also put up on the web as well. So we hope that this will be a useful tool for you. We built this ministry through our marriage savers, uh, along with uh, Bill and Mary Beth Diffley and others who give us leadership. 
our counseling uh, center here where we have ongoing counseling, as well as we collaborate with Family Consultation Services and the Center for Enriching Relationships that work closely with us in this. Many, if not all, of the participants actually tonight participate in those two ministries, Family Consultation Services and the Center for Enriching Relationships, and that should be in front of you on your handout. This was built on the concept that we really want to really help, if we can, and assist marriages and families and individuals who are struggling with or wanting to enrich relationships. We believe that's the foundation of Christ's ministry. He really came to heal and strengthen relationship. First and foremost, his relationship with us because he came down without sin and died on the cross for us. So we we built this on John 10.10. That gospel passage says in the very first A letter of the B, A and B section of that one verse, John 10.10, He said, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. 1010B says, but I, Jesus was saying, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Anyone in a healthy relationship knows that's something near heaven. Anyone who's in a relationship where it is barely working or very, very tedious and challenging and even painful knows that that's close to hellish. And we, we pray that as we work here together tonight, that we would sense God's presence. He wants to be with us. And let's have a word of prayer as we begin, and then I'd like to introduce our panel and the presenter for this evening. And again, if you do have that flimsy sheet, if you would take that and write down a question, it will get to me, and I'll try not to crumple it before I read it, and we'll try to respond to your question. It's really important that this is interactive. You are driving this evening in your questioning. So thank you again for being here this evening. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we know that all of us could be someplace else tonight, and even in a very good place, things that would be good that we could do and be. And yet we're here tonight, and we thank you for your presence that makes all the difference in each and every one of our lives. Your presence is what we seek, and we seek your presence this evening. There may be someone here or within uh, the ear of this presentation who's saying as he or she is listening in or participating here tonight that I need to hear from God, I need a word from God, and we pray in the name of Jesus that as we meet here together that not only your presence would emanate, but that our lives would be touched by you. We don't want to just throng around you, we want to be met by you. We want our needs met by you, but we also want to praise you and honor you. For it is in our praise that we experience your deep peace. So bless this evening, Father. May your blessing be upon this building, which is a holy place because of your presence. And we again invite you to lead us and guide us. And may the therapists who are with us this evening as they respond to these questions and then perhaps the verbal expressions from the audience to the panel and back and forth, we pray in the name of Jesus that we would absolutely without any question sense your presence. And we will look forward to your healing touches, your direction, hope that's given here this evening, a future and wisdom that is available to the believer who asks in Jesus' name. You never withhold it from us. You never withhold your blessing and you never withhold your love and grace that is so evident in and through Jesus Christ. And so we bless you. Thank you for blessing us. And we give all this to you and bless you again in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we begin this evening, let me step over to my right just so I can introduce our uh, presenters this evening. 
Dr. Marcial Falan, who is directly to my left, is not a new face to us. He has been with us, one of the lead presenters, as well as participants in this ministry. He is currently the pastor, the family pastor at Shadow Mountain Community Church. He's also a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist, kind of a rare occasion to find someone who has both ordained and marriage and family therapist because they both take tremendous amounts of energy. He has attended seminary, graduated, has a doctorate of ministry. You may see that. And I'm so proud of him and so uh, thankful to be a part of uh, the ministry that we share together. So we welcome you tonight. I know he's going to be presenting in just a moment on confession and asking for forgiveness. Directly to his left is Erica Garcia, and I'm so pleased to welcome her this evening. This is her first time with us. Hopefully it will not be our last, but we look forward to She's also a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist in the state of California. She has her uh, private practice at Family Consultation Services, and she also works out, a, out of a local church uh, there in uh, Chula Vista. Uh, in that area as well. And so we, we welcome her tonight. As you, you look a little bit of the information on the front of your brochure, she says this on her website. I have been working in counseling for the past 12 years, during which I've earned my MA in counseling psychology and my license as a marriage and family therapist in the state of California. These 12 years of experience have also allowed me to work with people of different ages, cultures, and psychosocial backgrounds. One thing I've noticed working with uh, the privilege to work with Erica is that she has um, a, a very openness with which she can meet a variety of, of people and backgrounds and has a loving spirit about her. So thank you for being with us this evening. Her husband happens to be with us out in the audience and we welcome him. He's waving a little bit there. So welcome. He, by the way, is a pastor, Reverend Garcia. So we welcome you, sir, with us. Gary, Gary Cundiff, you may know, has presented on several occasions and he is a lot of fun and has a depth with which uh, most of us would like to aspire in the area of counseling. Some of you have listened to his previous presentations. He is also a licensed psychotherapist working with individuals and couples and adolescents. He earned his MA in counseling psychology and bachelor's in behavioral sciences with a minor in chemical dependency. And he has been working in the field of counseling in mental health for approximately 19 years. For 18 years, Gary has been with Family Consultation Services as well, and he writes on his website, integrating a spiritual psychological framework is a key component of my therapy. I know that Gary prays at the beginning of each session with his, his uh, patients, and he I oftentimes prays at the end and uh, as a remarkable therapist, so we welcome him tonight once again. And just directly to his left is Dr. Diana Shorstrom. Uh, Dr. Shorstrom, I have the privilege of sharing an office with Dr. Shorstrom for going on three years at Point Loma Nazarene University. She is uh, an adjunct there, I believe almost half time, a professor there in the area of uh, psychology. And if you room with someone in an office for about three years, you begin to either go, I think it's time to go someplace else, or wow, I see the delight of this person. And it was the latter, of course, that I see in Dr. Shorstrom, and many of you have had her under, you've been under her tutelage with our class. Dr. Shorstrom is beloved by the students at uh, Point Loma Nazarene University, and I see that the students coming by, and is a delightful person who has access to actually our Pope in Italy, and is doing some major research on how we bring in, and I'm perhaps not saying this exactly, but how sin somehow finds its way into the soma, that's the body 
that, that finds its way. And so she, if you look at her title on the front of the sheet, it talks about her somatic uh, experience and working with people. She has her own private uh, practice as well. And we do have cards and everything in the back there for these therapists. As you move through the evening, I found this over the last two and a half years, that as we move through an evening, there comes the opportunity for you to say, you know, I think that I could really do some really good work under that person's leadership in counseling. And that's one of the reasons that we bring our therapists here as well, to help us along with uh, ministry to others. Dr. Shorstrom, if I can also mention, she is also a a licensed marriage and family therapist um, in California. She uh, earned her MA in psychology and PhD in clinical psychology at USIU, San Diego, California. And she writes this, I apply the Christian understanding of marriage to give a strong spiritual dimension in healing and conflict resolution. My goal is to help people to learn to be authentic, genuine members of the body of Christ. I'm always, I get so proud of introducing these people to think they're coming here to help us. And I really, I do appreciate each and every one of you and so proud of each and every one of you to be here and join us tonight. So thank you so much. Would you welcome our panel as we prepare to have Dr. Flan come forward. Dr. Marcel Flan is going to spend 15 minutes talking about this very topic. Thank you, Don. Um, this morning, as, uh, or this evening, as I started out, uh, I want to uh, read from a section of a book that some of you probably heard about, maybe many of you read. It's called The Shack. Uh, I was exposed to this book last summer when it was mentioned by my senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. He, he wasn't necessarily endorsing it, but he talked about it. And uh, I thought, ooh, that's interesting. And I heard a little about what he was reading and, and what it was about. And I thought, oh, I just took note. But then uh, I was with a, a friend of mine, a very good friend, and he told me that um, my Sunday school teacher at Shadow Mountain had read the book and that he was recommending it. And I said, my goodness. These are two people that I highly respect and admire, and they both read this book. I think I ought to read this. And so last summer, before I went on vacation, uh, I purchased a book, and I couldn't stop reading it the whole time I was on vacation. And if you've read the book or you're reading it, you'll know what I'm talking about. And there were many times throughout the book that I, I was brought to tears. Uh, but one of the things that most, most impacted me was a definition that I believe in and use so much that I found in the pages of this book on pages uh, 224 through 227 when he talks about forgiveness. Let me set the stage for you real quickly before I read. Uh, Mac is, Mackenzie is the principal character and he suffered a terrible, terrible loss uh, of his younger daughter. And um, he is, uh, he encounters God in ways that he never he never thought and as well as Jesus and the Holy Spirit and uh, it, it's a journey really uh, with God Jesus and the Holy Spirit that Matt goes on and the portions that we take up here that I'm going to read from you deal with the story of of Mac uh, the the father of the young girl who was murdered having uh, with God and uh, having the opportunity to forgive the killer and let me read these portions to you from these pages this is God speaking, starts out. Uh, Today we are throwing a big rock into the lake, and those ripples will reach places you would not expect. You already know what I want you to do, don't you? I'm afraid I do, Mac mumbled, feeling emotions rising out as they seeped out of a locked room in his heart. Son, you need to speak it, to name it, 
Now there was no holding back. His hot tears poured down his face, and between sobs, Mac began to confess. Papa, he cried, how can I ever forgive that son of a bitch who killed my missy? If he were here today, I don't know what I would do. I know it isn't right, but I want him to hurt like he hurt me. If I can't get justice, I still want revenge. Papa simply let the torment rush out of Mac, waiting for the wave to pass. Papa is God, in, in, as he, Mac refers to him. Mac, you, uh, for you to forgive this man is for you to release him to me and allow me to redeem him. Redeem him? Again, Mac felt the fire of anger and hurt. I don't want you to redeem him. I want you to hurt him, to punish him, to put him to hell. His voice trailed off. Papa waited patiently for the emotions to ease. I'm stuck, Papa. I just can't forgive what he did, can I? Mac implored. Forgiveness is not about forgetting, Mac. It is about letting go of another person's throat. But I thought you forgot our sins. Mac, I am God. I forget nothing. I know everything. So forgetting for me is the choice to limit myself, son. Papa's voice got quiet, and Mac looked up at him directly into his deep brown eyes. Because of Jesus, there is now no law demanding that I bring back your sins or remind you of them. They are gone when it comes to you and me, and they run no interference in our relationship. But this man, but he too is my son. I want to redeem him. So what then? I, I just forgive him and everything is okay and we become buddies? Max stated softly and sarcastically. You don't have a relationship with this man, at least not yet. Forgiveness does not establish relationship. In Jesus, I have forgiven all humans for their sins against me, but only some choose relationship. Mackenzie, don't you see that forgiveness is an incredible power, a power you share with us, a power Jesus gives to all whom he indwells so that reconciliation can grow? When Jesus forgave those who nailed him to the cross, they were no longer in his debt, nor mine. In my relationship with those men, I will never bring up what they did or shame them or embarrass them. Or embarrass them. I don't think I can do this, Mac answered softly. I want you to. Forgiveness is first for you, the forgiver, answered Papa, to release you from something that will eat you alive, that will destroy your joy and your ability to love fully and openly. Do you think this man cares about the pain and torment that you've gone through? If anything, he feeds on that knowledge. Don't you want to cut that off? And in doing so, you'll release him from a burden that he carries whether he knows it or not or acknowledges or not. When you choose to forgive another, you love him well. I don't love him. No, you don't. But I do, Mac. Not for what he's become, but for the broken child that has been twisted by his pain. I want to help you take, that, take on that nature that finds more power in love and forgiveness than hate. So does that mean, Mac again, a little angry at the direction of the conversation, that, that if I forgive this man, then I let him play with Kate or my first granddaughter? Mackenzie, Papa said firmly, I already told you that forgiveness does not create a relationship unless people speak the truth about what they have done and change their mind and behavior. A relationship of trust is not possible. When you forgive someone, you certainly release them from judgment. But without true change, no real relationship can be established.
So forgiveness doesn't require me to pretend that that it never did, that he never, never did. That, excuse me, let me start over. So forgiveness does not require me to pretend what he did never happened. How can you? You forgave your dad last night. Will you ever forget what he did to you? I don't think so. But now you can love him in the face of it. His change allows for that. Forgiveness in no way requires that you trust the one you forgive. But should they finally confess and repent, you will discover a miracle in your own heart that allows you to reach out and begin to build between you and that person a bridge of reconciliation. And sometimes this may seem incomprehensible, as it does right now. That road may even take you to the miracle of full restored trust. Max slid to the ground and leaned back against the rock he had been sitting on. He studied the dirt between his feet. Papa, I think I understand what you're saying, but it feels like if I forgive this guy, he gets off free. How do I excuse what he did? It, it, is it fair to Missy, that's his daughter who was murdered, uh, if I don't stay angry with him? Mackenzie, forgiveness does not excuse anything. Believe me, the last thing this man is, is free. And you have no duty, you have no duty to justice in this. I will handle that. And as for Missy, she has already forgiven him. She has? Mac didn't even look up. How could she? Because of my presence in her. That's the only way true forgiveness is ever possible. Mac felt Papa sit down next to him on the ground, but he still didn't look up. As Papa's arms enfolded Mac, he began to cry. Let it all out, he heard Papa's whisper, and he finally was able to do just that. He closed his eyes as the tears poured out. Missy and her memories again flooded his mind, visions of coloring books and crayons and torn and bloody dresses. He wept until he cried out all the darkness, all the longing, and all the loss, until there was nothing left. With eyes now closed, rocking back and forth, he pleaded, Help me, Papa, help me. What do I do? How do I forgive him? Tell him. Mac looked up, half expecting to see a man he had never met standing there, but no one was. How, Papa? Just say it out loud. There is power in what my children declare. Mac began to whisper in tones, half-hearted and stumbling, but then the increase, with increasing conviction, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Papa held him close. Mackenzie, you're such a joy. When Mac finally collected himself, Papa handed him a wet cloth so he could wash his face. When he stood up, a little unsteady at first. Wow, he said hoarsely, trying to find any word that might describe the emotional journey he had just waded through. He felt alive. He handed the kerchief back to Papa and asked, so is it all right if I'm still angry? Papa was quick to respond, absolutely. What he did was terrible. He caused incredible pain to many. It was wrong, and anger is the right response to something that is wrong. But don't let the anger and pain and loss you feel prevent you from forgiving him and removing your hands from around his neck. Papa grabbed his pack and threw it on. Son, you may have to declare your forgiveness a hundred times the first day and the second day, but the third day will be less and each day after until one day you will realize that you have forgiven completely. And then one day you will pray for, with, you will pray for his wholeness and give him over to me so that my love will burn from his life, from his life every vestige of corruption. As incomprehensible as it sounds at this moment, 
You may well know this man in a different context someday. Mac groaned. But as much as Papa was saying, but as much as what Papa was saying caused his stomach to churn in his heart, he knew it was the truth. As I read those words for the first time, and as I read them, I could not help but think over and over again of the definition of forgiveness that I have used with couples over and over again that I have learned over the years in my counseling. And that's on the screen and on the handout that you have in front of you, where it reads, forgiveness begins with the choice to forgive that sets a process in motion that over time will result in a lessening of painful emotions. Hurt, anger, bitterness, resentment, embarrassment, wrath, betrayal, or whatever the painful emotion may be that caused you to need to forgive in the first place. This handout, the rest of what you have in your, um, in your hands there, is from the Weekend to Remember by the Family Life Conference, uh, the Family Life people. And I use it often in, in my uh, counseling with people, and often I'll, have, I'll start with forgiveness and, and review this. And I know that... Uh, there's much that I could say on this subject, but let me just run through this because I think this so well encapsulates what you heard me read, my definition, and what forgiveness is and what it is not. For time's sake, I'm going to just read the points and explain, and, and I'll go quickly. Uh, resolving conflict requires forgiveness. We all know what the scripture says. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus also has forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32. I said I was going to skip those things, but it's too important to leave out the word of God. <laughs> A, the Bible teaches that all Christians are responsible to God to seek and grant forgiveness. The offender needs to seek forgiveness. And in seeking forgiveness on your handout, there's a template, what I call a template or a pattern that one can follow if you're going to seek forgiveness as the offender. I won't take the time to go through that, but if you'll see that uh, there are four sentences there. First of all, admits I was wrong. I, I'm sorry that I did. And there's a place for you to put in whatever it is that you're seeking forgiveness for in those blanks. That's what goes in the blanks there. And that I caused you to feel. You know, when you communicate forgiveness, it's best to try to put yourself in the place of the offender's shoes and feel with them what your uh, offense may have caused them as to demonstrate uh, empathy and genuine repentance to that person. I know that I've hurt you deeply, and I do not wish to hurt you this way again. There's the aspect of repentance. And then, will you forgive me for doing, and you name it. By the time you're done going through this template and seeking forgiveness, you've repeated the offense for which you are seeking forgiveness for three times, and specifically. Matthew 5, 23, 24 says, If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happens once you leave your offering there at the altar and go and be reconciled, but we can imagine that possibly something took place of what was in that box that we just read. But I have to be honest with you, Scripture doesn't specifically tell us how to go about seeking forgiveness. But yet I believe that we can, with all honesty and sanctified imagination, uh, picture what might have taken place when the two came to be reconciled. Point C, the offended needs to grant forgiveness. Um, I often tell people when I teach this that... Um, we don't have to grant forgiveness. We have a choice. As my definition says, it begins with a choice to forgive. Mm 
just as Mackenzie uh, had a choice in the, in the book, The Shack, to forgive, that started that process, which may have taken him a hundred times he had to declare that forgiveness. But the process will lessen the pain, and the forgiveness will become more and more real. So we have a choice if we want to. We don't have to forgive, and the choice is this. We can choose to be obedient or disobedient as Christians. We don't have to forgive. We can choose to be disobedient and reap the consequences if we do choose to be disobedient. But we do have a choice. But if you're going to be obedient to Christ, then the offended needs to grant forgiveness. Uh, the next point, granting forgiveness is not repression or pretending that something did not happen or that it did not hurt. I think you saw that in that, defin- or that, that reading that I did from, uh, from the shack. And, and, and those pages are, are uh, I think, you, I'll tell you them if you didn't get them, if you want to go look that up and study that more because it's deep and rich. Forgiveness is not conditional. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him. Or, I'm sorry, up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Matthew 18, 21, 22. You know, uh, there was a teaching I've, been, uh, I've studied and learned that at the time of Jesus amongst the, amongst the Pharisees and religious uh, leaders of the time of Jesus that um, if, if your brother were to sin against you three times, you don't have to forgive him anymore. If, if somebody wronged you three times, after that, it was done, you're over, you don't have, a right, you don't have to forgive him anymore, and you'd be okay. And so Peter, in a particularly uh, gracious mood, comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, isn't this really cool? How about seven times? If I forgive my brother seven times, isn't that enough? And Jesus said, oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. I can almost hear Jesus. Peter, I tell you, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. He's really saying an unlimited number of times, Peter. But that doesn't mean that we have to continue in a relationship with that person, which the shack so well describes. Unless there's repentance, unless that person acknowledges and stops the, the, the offending, then we may not, it may be unhealthy for us to maintain a relationship in that situation. Forgiveness is not only conditional, it's uh, granting forgiveness is, is also, it's not forgetting. And that's what many people believe. And again, the shack so uh, in that conversation that between Mac and, 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 and Papa so well says that. God doesn't really forgive. He just no longer, I love the way he says it, he releases the grip around our neck with forgiveness. It's not forgetting, though. And forgiveness is not impossible. If a person says, I can't forgive you, what they're really saying is, I'm not ready to forgive you or I won't forgive you. And E, again, as we saw in the shack, Granting forgiveness is not an automatic cure for the hurt. It's a process which I am convinced will lessen as you continue to make that choice. Every time those painful emotions or whatever it is that caused you to need to forgive in the first place comes back, you lift it up to God continually. Maybe a hundred times the first day, the second day, the third day, but it does lessen and so will the painful emotions till you get to the point where you will sit there one day and you will say, wow, I don't feel that. Someone can bring up that need that caused a pain, and you may say, wow, I don't feel that pain like I did before. And you'll say, wow, that's the power of forgiveness. But it's not an automatic cure for the hurt. Granting forgiveness is, A, obedience to a command, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Colossians 3.13. 
Granting forgiveness is not only an obedience to command, but it's an attitude of letting go of resentment and my right to get even. It's an action that must be expressed by word and deed. And it's a choice to set your mate free from a debt or an offense that has occurred against you. And E, granting forgiveness is the beginning of the healing process that leads to oneness. And right underneath point E is a template or a pattern to follow in granting forgiveness. Do it privately first. God, I forgive blank. Put the person's name in there for hurting me. Do it specifically. I forgive you for and repeat what the person is seeking forgiveness for that they've just come to you. Do it generously. Let's settle this issue and get on with building our relationship and do it graciously. I know I've done things like that myself. When I use this in the counseling office, I will, after going through this teaching, many times have couples go home and go before the Lord and get quiet. And I tell them, I want you to make a list of all the things that the Lord brings to your mind that you know you've fallen short in this marriage as a wife, as a husband. No, no, not your mate's falling short. You're falling short. You're going to seek forgiveness for the things that you know you've fallen short that God brings to your mind. Don't make up things. But I want you to come back with that list. And I often tell them, don't bring me just one or two things here. I want to see a list. And if I look at it and I see that you, I'm going to make you go do it again. And we're going to come back. And then we sit in my <laughs> office and I have them face each other, knee to knee. And I have the husband go first. And I have him go through the template on the first, place, first page, one by one, seeking forgiveness. Going through that, repeating it through up to three times, all four steps. And then the wife will respond with what's on the back. Now, she won't necessarily be able to do it privately first. I said, that you do on your own. But I have her say, I forgive you for, and repeat back to him exactly what he just asked forgiveness for. Let's settle this issue and get on with building our relationship. And then when it comes to, I know I've done things like that myself. If they've never done it, I tell them, don't do that. If you don't have to say that if you really haven't never done that. But if you have, then, then do that. And then for the, the offender, I have him say, then tell her thank you. And we go through that list, and, sometimes, and there are tears many times. But I find that until we do this, if, we're trying to, if I'm trying to work with a couple and work on reconciliation, I find that they've got to go through. I teach and I tell people the, the pathway to reconciliation leads to the door of forgiveness. Unless there's forgiveness, there can be no reconciliation. And I'm talking about with husbands and wives now because there are certain cases, as you heard me read from the shack, that, that reconciliation, a relationship and reconciliation doesn't necessarily have to be a part. And a lot of people mis, um, misunderstand that. Example would be maybe a, a, a toxic relationship, uh, maybe a mother. I had a couple once, the mother of, of, a, of a woman that I was seeing, when she would be with her mom, it wouldn't be long before her mother uh, would begin to get to, to go in on her and criticize her and tear her down and 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 uh, just it was damaging. And so I, I said, to her, you know, well, maybe if you're going to be with you, I said, maybe you need to not be with your mother if she's not going to stop. And I said, well, otherwise, maybe try this. I said, maybe do things with your mother. I said, how long does it take before your mother starts to do that? Oh, usually about an hour. I said, well, maybe meet her for tea or coffee and when it gets to be now okay mom i gotta go pick up the kids now you know or maybe go to a movie with your mom you know or possibly if your mother begins to go down that path you say to her mom if you don't stop i'm gonna have to get up and leave you see there are some cases where we have to limit we have to set boundaries 
And the relationship with people doesn't necessarily come along with every act of forgiveness. But forgiveness is a choice. We can choose to be obedient or disobedient. But it does set a process in motion. And with husbands and wives, it is, it is the pathway to oneness that God desires and is the goal for our marriage. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Marcial. Thank you very much. Thank you. What a great introduction, a great introduction for us tonight as we move into now our interaction. And I want to remind you, I have three cards already with questions. If you have your question written out or take, the mo take a moment to do so, please raise that in the air. And I'd like to mention that I know Dr. Diana Shorstrom may need to leave here in just a few minutes. I wanted to make mention of that in case she does step off the platform. Uh, she may need to leave uh, in just a few minutes. But I want to mention we're ready to go ahead and move and I, with this. And I have the first question. Thank you so much for that a lot to think about and something for us to take home and to ponder upon and to put into place. Here's the first question. I think it's very apropos for us this evening. This is a question from you. How do I forgive myself for the hurt I have caused to someone I love who will not allow me to contact her? How do I forgive myself for the hurt I have caused to someone I love who will not allow me to contact her? How would you respond to that? And again, the audience, as our panel is getting prepared to respond, if you would like to interact, please just raise your hand without the card, and we will give you a microphone to respond. Thank you. I think to forgive, you have to break the word down, forgive. Giving, meaning giving up the feeling, just like I think... Mackenzie got healed because he broke down and the Lord embraced him and he was able to give up the feeling that he was having and the frustration. So I would suggest whoever asked that question to give up and surrender to the feelings that you have about not being able to contact her and then go ahead and pretend like she's with you and actually do a mock forgiveness. You know, set her in the chair in front of you and, and go through the whole process as if, as if she were there. And I, I think that she would actually feel that on some level, that you're changing and you're forgiving and the Holy Spirit would start working inside of you. And I think some healing would take place for both of you. Um, also, um, coming to the Lord with your feelings and accepting the forgiveness of Jesus, which is the number one step, is saying, yes, Lord, I accept your forgiveness for me for whatever it is that I did to this person. Whether this person wants to recognize that you want that forgiveness or not, that's not the, the point. The point is that Jesus already forgave you for whatever you did. So you need to take that gift that God has given you. He already died for you on the cross. He already forgave your sins. And that part of that was part, part of whatever you did was part of your sin. Now Jesus is in your life and he said, it's done, it's over. And you don't need to be carrying the burden over in your life. You need to just say, okay, Lord, it's over, it's done. And um, just ask God to work in that relationship. Pray for your daughter or your relative, whomever it is, and God will restore that if, in God's time if God wants to do that, if it's in God's will to do that. But you need to just give it to the Lord, and, and he'll work in your life. Let's, let's take those two comments we can, and let's even uh, bring that down to a level where someone may say, I have asked for God to forgive me, but I, I don't sense his forgiveness. I know it in my head but I don't feel it in my heart or even, you know, a sense of his love. And so many Christians live here. It's something we talk about in a couple of our classes here at Skyline Church. 
And that is, how does someone receive God's forgiveness when that person is unable or puts up a roadblock to even forgive themselves, give him, forgive himself or herself? In other words, how do I receive his forgiveness? Um, if I can't receive it, of course, I can't forgive myself. How do we do that? I've learned most of the things I've learned through personal experience. <laughs> and I had that situation. And, and, you know, one of the things about that is this desire to resolve. You know, and sometimes it's just not possible to really resolve. Hmm. And they have to, you know, kind of accept that. And one of the things, you know, it's so difficult is because I have to trust God in that. Hmm. If I can't, you know, because it takes me out of the control. I had a girlfriend once that, you know, I was pretty bad to her. There's no question about it. And I wanted to do the same thing, ask her for forgiveness and all this sort of thing. She told me that the best way that I could make amends to her was to stay out of her life, never try to contact her in any way ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and so I accepted that. And that was making amends. So I wasn't able to do that directly with her, you know, all the wrong that I did. So I wrote it down, went to someone else. I, made, mm -hmm. I found a woman, you know, that, you know, like Diane said, that I could do a mock, you know, you know acting, you know, role play with that. Mm -hmm. Listed all the bad things I did, and I asked for forgiveness, went through that whole process. And her, you know, giving me that forgiveness, you know, from her perspective, you know, and allowing me to, you know, experience that with her was a very, very healing thing. And so, <laughs> I really just say amen to what Erica said in that uh, the aspect of, uh, we talked about the uh, campus, this is a, Family Life is a division of Campus Crusade for Christ, and I help, can't help but think about the wonderful little illustration from the four spiritual laws that uh, we, first, uh, the, we have to have, believe the fact, the fact of our forgiveness, mm -hmm. then comes faith, and then comes feelings. Mm -hmm. And so many times we, we struggle with, and when we struggle with the fact, if, if we are not believing the truth that Jesus has forgiven us, then it's a matter of our unbelief, and our unbelief is a sin. Mm -hmm. We accept the fact and the truth. And if something contrary to that is coming in, then it's a lie from the enemy who is trying to seek to condemn us. Mm -hmm. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is a liar, the father of lies. John 8, 48 says he has been a liar from the beginning. And so if we're having trouble believing and accepting the forgiveness that Christ secured for us through his death on the cross, then we need to examine our own unbelief and say, where is that coming from? And it's not coming from God. It's coming from the pit. It's coming from the father of lies who wants to keep you alienated from God and truly receiving and living in the wholeness of the forgiveness that God has provided for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Is that where someone lives when someone comes to your office and says that I am a believer, but I cannot seem to receive God's grace and love and forgiveness? And they say, I really can't trust God because I've never had any, anyone in my life within my life with whom I could trust. I've lived and been around people that are not trustworthy. And so I can't even accept that concept of trusting that God can forgive me and that I can forgive another person. What do we do with that? 
I was just going to go there, Don, in regards to um, saying that we talk a lot about self-esteem and the work that we have we do with self-esteem. And it would take um, some work in our part to, to work with the self-esteem of the person and understanding that how special you are to God, you know, and, and getting to that understanding that, yeah, the Bible says you are the apple of his eye. They, 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 that, that you're special to God, that you're his special child. So do you think that God wants you uh, beating yourself up and saying you're no good and, and this mm-hmm. and that? That, that? God doesn't want that for you. The enemy is the one who wants that for you. Mm-hmm. He wants to beat you up and put you down on the floor. God wants to have you high, you know, and, and, and raise on high. But the enemy wants to have you down because if he has you down, that, that's where he keeps you. And as many soldiers as are down, who's winning the war, Right. So we got to be conscientious of that. But we don't also leave the soldiers on, on the ground. That's our job as therapists is to kind of try to help the soldiers get up, right? And so the work that we do is we work with those people to help them understand that, yeah, guess what? You feel this way, and that's a valid feeling, but that's not a real feeling. Mm. You understand the difference between valid and, and real? Your feeling is valid, but it's not real, you know? God wants you to be happy, God wants you to be um, blessed in him. That doesn't mean that when trials come, you're not blessed, okay? Don't get me wrong. Sometimes trials will come and you're still blessed, okay? But (laughs) uh, what I'm saying is when you're feeling that you cannot forgive yourself, that you are you know, down there, it's important for you to understand that you are special to God, so special that he sent his only son to die for you. Okay, so we start doing that work with you, and that, that takes some time, and, and for you to understand how special you are. And we also look into patterns that, that come from early childhood and things that you learn and that you develop and, you know, things that, that um, were said, messages that were said to you as a child and as you were growing up that have gotten you there, and we find out how to change those beliefs or those, those patterns, not really the beliefs, but the patterns that you have in order to uh, help you. Um, you know, um, overcome those feelings. Good, good. Anyway, yes. Uh, yes, we tend to find in psychology that whatever your relationship is or was with your earthly father, you tend to transfer onto the heavenly father. Mm-hmm. And I think it's we're all human beings, and that, that that's just a human thing that we do. And I think we need to embrace that and really work the feelings through and work on forgiveness with our earthly father sometimes before we can really be open and permeable to the love of God. And I think that's an important step. And one of the biggest weapons is the Word of God. Yes. You know, Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those Mm -hmm. who are in Christ Mm -hmm. Jesus. And, you know, using the Word as the sword because, you know, it really is Satan that wants to, you know, keep that condemnation. You know, the spirit of accusation can be so tormenting, so tormenting. But when you're involved in that, and you're not willing to forgive yourself, you're really acting in a position of God over your own life. And one of the things that I've discovered, I don't know about you guys, but I am not qualified to be God. <laughs> just don't have the qualifications. <laughs> you know, and so I really need to, re- you know, look at that and go, you know, he really is God. And he says, I'm forgiven. And that's that. And, you know, I need to get in line with that. But the way to, often to do that is really through the word of God. You know, that he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins when, you know, you know the scriptures, you know. And so, you know, using that and because the only thing, and I know this, I think, pretty clear, the only thing that Satan respects is power, period. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. And the word of God is 
power. Absolutely. And that's an absolute. So maybe an important thing for us, uh, starting with Erica and then going to Dr. Shorstrom and, and then Gary, is that we probably should be able to pray openly with our Bible open mm -hmm. and praying the word over our mate, praying the word over our children, or praying the word over ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so verbally expressing it, mm -hmm. uh, because it is the word of God. It is powerful. Excellent. Let's move to another question if we can. I think that really helped us. This question asks a little bit, how do you forgive someone who has passed away? How do you do that? Someone who is no longer on this earth living, and how do you forgive someone who has passed away? And again, as they're, they're thinking about this, if you want to respond, please just raise your hand and we'll bring a microphone to you. Uh, so be prepared to do that. One of the things that. that I've done with that, Don, is... I've done quite a bit of, you know, it's in line of the work that I've done with women who've had abortions, mm. you know, asking for forgiveness for that. We're not, you know, we're forbidden to try to contact the dead and all that sort of thing, but we have a mediator named Jesus. <laughs> well, it works both ways, you know, that, you know, if I'm asking for forgiveness, I can, send, you know, Jesus will relay that message. You know, I can take it to him as the mediator for that. And, you know, so it works both ways. One of the things I've done with people, you know, women that have had abortions is to write a letter to that child, name that child. Was it a boy? Was it a girl? All that sort of thing. What were the circumstances? What do you need to ask for forgiveness for? And, you know, we take that to the Lord and allow him, you know, to relay whatever needs to be relayed. And in uh, and, and the other side, you know, you can do the same thing. These are the things that I need to ask for forgiveness or, you know, this is what I need to send my forgiveness to is through a lot of times in just writing a letter, you know, and, and, and in prayer doing that. And I've done that probably 50, 60 times. And often, you know, I also include sometimes some sort of symbolic act with that. You know, like a, a, a group mm -hmm. of balloons that we, you know, release or something, you know, to say, okay, I'm letting go of this now and uh, releasing it to the hands of God. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, go ahead. Um, we, we talk about forgiveness and love as feelings many times, but we got to realize that forgiveness and love are both also decisions. So... Even whether the person is alive or dead doesn't rely on the person. It relies on us. The decision is ours. I decide to forgive. I decide to love. Um, whether my father is alive or dead, I'm going to choose today to forgive him. If my father passed away, it doesn't matter because I am deciding to forgive him, right? Um, I am the one who needs to let go of those feelings, my father is already on the, on the cemetery and underground many years ago, but I'm the one who's deciding to forgive him. So that's how you forgive someone who passed away. You take the decision to forgive. The pain might continue, like Dr. Phelan said, it might continue for a while, might continue for years, and you ask Jesus to help you deal with the pain, and if you need to talk to a counselor, you talk to a counselor and ask Jesus to help you deal with the pain. But Forgiveness is a decision that you take. You either decide to be obedient to the Lord and you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to you. I forgive this person and help me move through this. And I'm with you. Walk with me. And here we go. Good. Good. Uh, Erica said this exactly what I was getting ready to say. But behind that question, I wonder if the question behind the question is, do I have to wait until a person comes to me to seek forgiveness before I forgive them? And the answer to that is no. 
We can choose. In fact, we are told by God to forgive whether the person comes to us and asks forgiveness or not. We can choose to forgive. And uh, it starts with us. We can just simply say whether the person is alive or dead. They may never come to us and ask us to forgive, but that doesn't matter. We still have a responsibility. We have the choice to be obedient or disobedient, to forgive a person who's wronged us, irregardless of whether they ever come to us and ask us to forgive them, or whether or not when we, and sometimes we shouldn't go to that person and tell them we've forgiven them. We just do it privately, do it in our heart, and, and the template is there on the back. And maybe it needs to be, like, uh, like Gary was saying, a letter or something that you can, you can uh, enact with, a, with a, an empty chair or with a representative of that person. But whether that person ever comes and asks us to forgive us or acknowledges that they did wrong is irrelevant. We still can choose to forgive from our heart. If I forgive from my heart and the, the feelings, be, the, the awful bad feelings perhaps begin to dissipate or they disappear, and then months or years later they arise again, does that mean I'm disobedient? What, is that a normal process for those feelings to reoccur? I think the problem, I think the problem in that for a, lot, a large part is when I'm forgiving, it's you know, canceling the debt, right? What was the debt? What was the loss? And really, you know, assessing what exactly was the loss. Where was the offense and the hurt? You know, when somebody offends me or, you know, hurts me in that way, it's, you know, so many areas of my life that that can be true. My ambition, my self-esteem, pride, pocketbook, personal relationships pretty much covers it all. And so it's looking into that, what was truly the loss there so that I can really, you know, go ahead and accept that loss in my life and identify it. And a lot, I think a lot of times we, we don't spend any time, enough time really looking into that, what was really you know, the loss in this that I can identify and I can go ahead and accept that that's, that's gone. So maybe sometimes what happens is we offer forgiveness. God, of course, God offers it through us. It's his gift through us to another person or to ourselves. And then we perhaps need to grieve a loss Exactly. Because when there's an offense, there's a debt, there is a loss. So somewhere grieving that process leads to the next question. This is a wonderful discussion. I just want to add that as we're talking, at least from my perspective. This question is, how do I know? Let's go a, let's go a step deeper into this. How do I know? This is the question. How do, I know, how do I know if I have unresolved conflict that needs to be dealt with? How do I know if I have unresolved conflict that needs to be dealt with? I'm assuming they're suggesting the person is perhaps forgiveness or a lack thereof. How do I know that? How do I know if perhaps I need to forgive or I need to be forgiven? How do we know that as human beings? Your feelings will tell you. <laughs> you will feel something is eating you inside. <laughs> okay, okay. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the power begins to be taken out of it. Mm. You know, I mean, I recently, I mean, I had to, you know, some real serious forgiving that I had to do. And I'm thinking I'm about at that place where, like, if I ran into her, I wouldn't, ha I wouldn't want to wring her neck. <laughs> I mean, that, that you know, desire to you know, break her neck would probably not be there. The power is really beginning to, you know, in that is beginning to really subside. And that, I think that, for me, is the indicator. You know? And I can actually pray for her. You know? I mean, like a real prayer. 
you know, and, and mm-hmm. that's, that's remarkable to me that, you know, if I can pray and actually, you know, feel that from my heart and actually, you know, asking for a blessing and, you know, for her in her life, you know, from God, that, that's a real indicator for me. Okay. Yes. Everyone on this panel is so eloquent, and I really appreciate what you've said spiritually and intellectually and psychologically. Um, but I'd, I'd like to point out that as whole beings, we're made up of body, mind, and spirit, mm-hmm. and that 90% of our personality is unconscious, and the body is the outer manifestation of the unconscious. And I think God designed us that way because he wants us to know what it really means to surrender and have true humility to the core of our being. And that's why I think it takes a process of grieving that loss and surrendering, because Every time you forgive and go through a process of surrender and grief and you attain that humility in your body, your breathing opens, your immune system comes up, Mm -hmm. your stress hormones go down, your cholesterol goes down, your blood pressure goes down. Everything improves every time. And it's like we're supposed to be on a journey of self-discovery and really learning how to be healthy and to use the beautiful body that God gave us. After all, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's where the Holy Spirit dwells, and I think we need to embrace that more. Okay, this really leads to, this next question really ties into what you just suggested, Dr. Shorstrom, and that is, what are the guidelines for confessing prior indiscretions or affairs or sin or etc.? What are ways that we do that, mind, body, and soul? So this has more to do with confession and asking for forgiveness within our own being. The question, what are the guidelines for confessing something prior, like an affair or a sin or etc.? Well, I think it's really important that you do it with yourself and maybe with the guidance of a counselor and do it with God first. Hmm. Because when you surrender, the body becomes what we call grounded, you start feeling stable in your personality and you're able to understand what boundaries are. And there's a process that happens when you truly surrender and attain that kind of groundedness. Then, and only then, I think it's appropriate to start confessing or maybe admitting to an affair or something that's going to be very harmful to somebody else. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but I just think it's important to look at a process that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of the losses that can take place. It- Losing your own sense of center, you know, center, you know, your own centeredness, and you know that's usually one of the more difficult things to you know gain back is when you've lost your center. That's a lot. I mean, people can lose a lot of different things. I mean, lose your mind, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, lose your voice. I mean, there's a lot of that. I mean, I think I lost my mind, but I, <laughs> losing my center was the worst you know, because not being balanced is really a, a, a pretty dreadful place to be. Well, this, for just a moment, I'd like to stay with that centering and what both uh, Gary, you, and Diana were talking about. How do I know if I'm centered? How would I know that if we do take the concept that 90% is unconscious? There's strong belief for that, and we see that in many of our patients that, with whom we work. What is that, the center? How would we know if we're centered or if we're not? If you're not breathing deeply, if your jaw's tight... If your knees are locked, if your, if your pelvis is tight and pulled up, if your shoulders are up, if your neck's tight, if you're feeling anxiety in your chest, if it's hard to love and be open and reach out for help, 
Those are all signs that your body is signaling you that you're shutting down and holding on to something. Do you have any counseling needs- sessions open? <laughs> my, my sensei, I'm a martial artist, and I remember one time walking into the dojo, and I wasn't centered at all. And it's a short story, but it's, you know, he came over, and, you know, I was late, and I was a little disrespectful, and, you know, all this. But anyways, he, he was feigning this, but he came at me, and he started pointing, you know, and pushing me, and, like, coming at me like he was really hostile. And, you know, maybe five, ten seconds of that, he says, um... Gary, where's your center? <laughs> and it's like, oh, I don't know, over there somewhere. <laughs> he says, where are your shoulders? They're up like this, and I'm up on my toes. <laughs> and the object of the lesson was, he says, you know, my anger, my hostility cannot harm you. And then he you know, showed me the knife that he had, and he goes, this knife is what could hurt you. <laughs> I didn't even know he had a knife. That's really not being centered. And so it was that object lesson of, you know, where am I? Where are my shoulders? Where, where, where am I in location to other people and mm-hmm. standing and emotionally and all that sort of thing? And, you know, for me, one of the places I learned a lot about that was through the martial arts. Mm-hmm. So, again, back, I was teasing a little bit, but the, the idea is to be aware of your own body mm-hmm. in the sense if you're tightening or if you're, if you're, you're feeling yourself closing in. Typically, someone who is in great pain usually close in almost into a fetal position. If you've ever been to a mental hospital where it's a takedown hospital and dealing with very traumatized people, many of whom who are severely traumatized are in a fetal position. They've actually closed down their entire body. And one of the first things we do is close down our heart, you know, and in the sense of closing in. This next question, thank you for those responses. This next question leads us into more of a family question that relates very well to what we're talking about. Uh, bear with me, it's, it's a, about a, a short paragraph here. What advice will you have for a blended family situation where the husband has forgiven the ex-spouse, but she will not forgive and continues to alienate the children? In this situation, one cannot leave the co-parenting relationship even though it is toxic. Both ex-spouses are remarried and only the ex-husband is Christian. What advice would you give this blended situation? Move to Phoenix. (laughs) You know, we thought you were centered a moment ago. You were talking about being centered. And now he's talking out of his subconscious. But uh, thank you, Gary, for working with us on this. Such an elegant answer. (laughs) I would say stay in the process. This is an opportunity to be a bigger person, a deeper person, walking closer with Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a chance to be authentic and to be deep and to carry the cross and keep surrendering to it, stay in the process. It's a gift. Mm. The gift is the challenge, the process in which that person or persons are in is what you're saying. Sometimes we don't see difficulties as a gift. Why did you... Con- yeah, yeah, most of us are saying... Some of you are shaking your heads like, why are you even saying that? It's not a gift. But why are you saying it is a gift? Because if you had to surrender every day to that and go through yes. the forgiveness and the process, you'd become healthier and healthier. And the core of you would expand and the Holy Spirit would dwell in you and bring you more gifts. And you'd have more peace and understanding and a, a greater capability of joy and appreciation of God's love and, and of the world. I wonder if that's the process that Jesus went through himself. Father, forgive some of his last words. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And each and every day he was in the process of offering forgiveness. I think we have to remember that there is a 
there is something bigger going on here in our lives, that the sovereignty of God mm. is such that when uh, a painful situation comes into our lives, a trial, uh, that it's an opportunity for us to grow in conformity to the image of Christ. A sovereign God, as we have, as we know, as the God of the Bible, is too wise to make a mistake and too loving to do anything kind, unkind. Therefore, if this is happening to me, why does it happen? Well, James says it's for our character development. Uh, you know, Paul says we exalt in our tribulations, mm -hmm. knowing that, that tribulations produce character, character hope, and hope does not disappoint. You know, Peter says don't be surprised at the fiery trial you're going through, you know, as if something strange were happening to you. It's an opportunity for us to be bring our lives in conformity to the Christ who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do as he hung on a cross dying. I wonder if that's why Paul, St. Paul preached, I preach Christ crucified. Wherever he went, he was either beat up, spat upon, thrown into prison, whipped, kicked, and then he would stand up and say, I preach Christ crucified. He leaned heavily into the Lord. And that's what you're saying. The process is that we learn through the process, not just learn, but bodily, mind and soul, we lean heavily into our maker and creator. There's no other way to get through, especially when the topic of forgiveness comes in. We are never more like God than when we are forgiving other people. Absolutely. But I think that it takes a lot of... For me, to be in that kind of a position means that on a daily basis, I really have to put the armor on every day. You know, because that is really the protection. And so, you know, it is a blessing when we're persecuted that, you know, we can look at, okay, you know, I need to stand in that armor, you know, and it's more than just, you know, some sort of an imaginary thing that I'm putting the breastplate on. I have to stand in the righteousness of Jesus because that is the protection that you're going to, you know, have against that, you know, those fiery darts against that stuff. And it takes a lot of, you know, and so that takes a, you know, a real growth and, you know, learning to grow in that is, you know, it is a gift. Thank you. I'd like to move to a next question. And we have about six, seven, eight minutes, I believe, left, if I'm correct. Ten minutes, I'm told. We have ten minutes. If you have a question, or I have a question I'm going to move to, but if you have a statement or something you would like to ask the panel, now's the time to raise your hand, to get a microphone in your hand. I'm going to go to the next question, but please know that that's available to us. Sometimes those are the most endearing, when I say that most useful moments, when we are getting direct communication back from the audience and that interaction. Here is the next question, so please feel free to raise your hand. The question is, what if you have forgiven someone? What if you've forgiven someone and they keep on doing wrong? Whoa. How do you deal with that? How can you heal, and how can you handle that? What if you've forgiven someone, and they keep on doing wrong? How do you deal with that, and how can you heal, and how can you handle that? That is difficult. Yes, very <laughs> difficult. It's a good question, isn't it? It shows us they're human, and we are human, too. And it shows us maybe that God wants maybe to teach us a lesson through that. You know, maybe that's the person that God's put in our hand to mold us. And that person keeps on doing the same thing and just brings our antennas up every time. You know, sometimes, you know, we have people in our lives that keep on doing the same thing that bothers us so much. And we're like, oh, we can understand why this person keeps on doing the same thing. And I already forgave him. And he goes again and does the same thing all over again. I can understand why. If I already forgave him, it's so I am feeling it. I really am feeling and it. I, I want can... to like, you know. It's in my body. I yeah, can... it's there. <laughs> I'm not centered today. 
<laughs> it is it is there but but you know what it shows us that we are human i was just thinking a little while ago that we pray father forgive forgive us as we forgive others so constantly every day we have the opportunity to forgive others constantly every single day is an opportunity to forgive others but also every day jesus forgives us right because the bible says we all are sinners there is no one good we all are sinners. So every time we have it in our mind, how come that person is not getting better? How come that person is not doing better? Maybe I should think, how come I'm not doing better either? You know, and I know there are areas of areas, you know, there are difficult areas and and we'll have to examine the specific case and see what's going on. But um, really, if the person keeps on doing something, keep forgiving them. That's the only thing I can tell you. Just keep forgiving the person. Um, like um, Dr. Phelan was saying a while back ago, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to 70 times 7. I was thinking about that because um, sometimes I used to think that you forgive someone and, and that's it. You should just, it's done, right? And then I would feel guilty when the feelings started coming again or the thoughts started coming again about whatever the person did to me. And I was going, hmm, didn't I forgive this person already? Why am I thinking about this again? And like we were talking about, you know, mourning losses and, and the process that it takes to forgive. And someone told me, you know what? Every time that happens to you, just forgive again. And I said, even if it's the same situation? And they said, yeah, even if it's the same situation. And I went to, I think the Lord brought me to that verse, forgive 70 times seven. And I had not thought about even if it is the same situation. Forgive 70 times 7, up to 70 times 7. Keep forgiving, even if it is the same situation, even if the person keeps doing the same. Because wouldn't Jesus forgive you if you kept doing the same? Doesn't he forgive us when we keep doing the same? So if we're Christians, Christians mean like Christ. We are to be like Christ. We're not God, obviously. We're never going to be like him. But... We are to follow after him. So as much as we can, we're going to do whatever is possible to follow after him. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a commandment in a sense that God left us to forgive others. And uh, like uh, doctor was saying um, over there, is that we need to, it, it's good. It's an enriching experience for us to, to do it. We're going to learn from the process. Uh, you know, I agree with that. But I think that there's also a point where we have to place boundaries. Mm -hmm. And because if someone's doing a particular behavior that is particularly destructive and they continue to repeat that, I don't want to enable that. And a way that I can enable that is to pretend or, you know, turn that blind eye, you know, and allow that to continue. Mm -hmm. There's times when, you know, you know what? <laughs> you can continue to do that, then we're not going to be in relationship. And you're going to have to decide whether or not you know that's worth you know worth it to you or not. Mm -hmm. And because I, I'm pretty sure that God is not codependent, you know. Yes. Uh, you know, I, think I, I, I don't know. He has never really been too codependent with me. I mean, when I screw up, I screw up, and I pay the price for it. You know. So. But um, to me, there is a difference between forgiving and keeping in relationship. You can forgive and not keep in a relationship. So if I had a problem, let's say with Dr. Phelan for a reason, and um, he kept on offending and offending and offending, that doesn't mean that I have to keep in a relationship with him to forgive him. I can decide to forgive him. Absolutely. But I say, you know what? You are 
breaking the rules. You are trespassing my space, and because you're doing that, I choose not to be in relationship with you. Still, though, I choose to forgive. And I don't have to tell them necessarily that I choose to forgive, but I can tell God I choose to forgive this person. So I still can forgive him, but I can choose to keep in a relationship with him or not. So that's where the boundaries come, whether I choose to be in a relationship with the person or not. However, the commandment to forgive is in the Bible, and it's something that we choose or choose not to obey. Yes. That's from good. my perspective. Excellent. That's, that's excellent. I think that's at the heart of, of Christ. When, when he said that he never forces his way on into our lives, but he invites us into relationship. And a lot of mental illnesses have as a derivative anxiety that is put up on us that we did not choose to experience or bring into our lives, that someone else casts their own issues onto us. And that's where we draw this boundary. I think there was someone who was going to respond in the back. Yes. I think that what's so healthy about the model that Dr. Fallon shared with the whole process of asking for forgiveness and that, that repentance model, if the person has sought forgiveness, then there's that opportunity for accountability. Mm-hmm. So you can help them. I mean, we all need help in mm-hmm. stopping our bad behaviors. And so the boundary that Gary's talking about can be placed there. If you continue to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and you can continue to hurt me, I'm not going to be able to allow you to do that. But you're helping them in being yes. accountable to it. So that's why I think that four-step process is so important. It's one thing to say, I'm sorry, but to specifically say what you did wrong helps that other person to help address the issue then. Thank you. Anyone else that needed to respond? Yes, right here. I just wanted to say that um, someone told me one time, it says in God's word that we're to be submissive. It says nowhere in the word that we're to be a doormat. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think that's very well said. It's setting up boundaries uh, of of safety um, for emotionality. Let's, I'd like to, if we can, unless there's someone else out in the audience, I'd like to move to another question. We have about four and a half, almost five minutes left. Here's the, here's the question. I think it's, it's almost more of a statement, but it relates to stories that you might have as counselors, therapists, of people who have offered forgiveness to others or self and how that's released them. Here's the statement. There are stories of persons suffering from terrible ulcers or crippling arthritis who through counseling and prayer were finally able to forgive that person that they had needed to forgive for years. The ulcers or arthritis resolved. After forgiveness was stated and given, are there any stories of miraculous healings in your practices after the release of anger, hurt, and unforgiveness? I have a real dramatic example. I had a 72-year-old woman come to me with uh, crippling arthritis. Her husband had to carry her in and put her on the couch. And after a few sessions, she told me about how her father had sexually molested her as a child and that she'd never dealt with it. So we were able to uh, put her through a series of exercises where she physically was able to scream out and get out the expression of anger in her body. And within about six to eight weeks, I think it was the eighth session after that, she actually walked in my office by herself and sat down on the couch by herself and was able to get up and drive herself back and forth to sessions. It had, was such a profound effect. That's one of many. But yeah. 
I had one of the most dramatic, I was in, in group, and one of the gals in the group, she began to talk very, very directly about all the molest and sexual abuse that she's, you know, experienced in her life. She'd suffered with, I mean, major headaches, all kinds of stuff, I mean, a lot of physical stuff. During the group, I wasn't aware, but one of the men in the group, he was sitting there and listening to what she had to say, and tears were just rolling down his face. I mean, just, and it was like, all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on? And he was a recovering sex addict, you know, been in recovery for maybe three years. He went over and he said to her, I know that I wasn't the one that did this to you specifically, but I participated in those behaviors. And so I'm asking you, will you grant me forgiveness? Mm. And they both sat there and just cried, and she gave him that, and she says, I will, I will forgive you. And lots of tears, all that sort of thing. She come back the following week, and she realized that she really had forgiven. She says, you know, all this, all this time, I, you know, I'd always just seen men as just big penises that I could just, you know, you know, objectify and stay away from. And I, I, see, I see you as a real person, as a whole person now. But the dramatic change was, was the headaches, the backaches, so much of the physical stuff just began to subside. Wonderful. Wonderful. Makes me think of, uh, I know we're almost out of time, and I want to just refer you to some excellent resources if you want to go deeper in this subject. One is a book by Lewis Smedes called Forgive and Forget. He was a wonderful psychologist, Christian up at, uh, I believe he taught at uh, Fuller. And he's, oh, I believe, deceased. But he made the statement, he says that many times we choose, when we choose to forgive, we set the prisoner free, free and we realize that the prisoner was us. Another wonderful resource for going deeper in this, not only Forgive and Forget by Lewis Smedes, but also a wonderful book I've used on marriage as a whole that has a lot to do with forgiveness in the middle of it because it's a story of a pastor who emotionally killed his marriage due to neglect and uh, putting the ministry before his wife is a book by Walter Wengren, Walter Wengren called As for Me and My House. As for me and my house, I use that often uh, in counseling to help uh, couples and people with the area specifically of this forgiveness because the story of his forgiveness granted to him by his wife and the process of restoration that he went through is demonstrating his repentance or is just so moving that uh, often I will use that. Walter Rengren, as for me and my house. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, I know that uh, we need to wind down for this evening. This was a fabulous discussion. We, we, we need to be reminded that forgiveness is a gift from God. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful, and He will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Give, forgiveness is a gift from Him to us and to others. Um, would you join me in thanking our panel for their participation and leadership tonight? Thank you. Before we have a word of prayer and we are dismissed, I'd like to remind you that the next My Therapist Says is scheduled for September 2nd. This is going to be dynamic for, for a number of reasons. Uh, Jeremy, who happens to be our own pastor, Robertson, will be giving us the 15-minute presentation on parenting the teenager in your life. And we will have two live teenagers to discuss uh, the topic. If you notice, uh, as we're presenting, we don't have their pictures yet because we're still fine trying to fight. We hope they'll be too alive when we uh, actually do this. 
Um, and this is going to be very dynamic. We will have uh, Dr. Marcel Fallon with us and uh, Kimberly Whiteford, who will also be with us, who actually has worked predominantly with teenagers and adolescents and has great experience in this area. And so we look forward to that. You might want to ask friends or those who have teenagers because we will have dialogue. You'll still be able to write down your questions on the three by five cards and we'll have that interaction plus we'll have the microphones. It should serve us to be a very dynamic evening. So I thank you for being with us this evening. Let's have a word of prayer and then you are dismissed. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth that comes from your heart to us. Truth sets us free. You said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you tonight that we realized once again that your word is the truth, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes to the very heart and marrow of our bone system. It goes into our soul, who we are, mind, body, and soul. And that oftentimes, perhaps, we even carry our pain within our bodies. Thank you that you provide release from that. Jesus told us that. He said, I'm going to the cross so that you'll never have to be alone. Because when I die and am resurrected and I ascend uh, and, and go to heaven and be with the Father, that the Holy Spirit will come and he will comfort you and be with you and reside within you. And so we thank you for that. We love you this night. Thank you so much that we give these moments back to you. And may your presence do the inner work within each of us. And we will be careful to give you praise for all healings, for they come from your heart. 